Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're excited to be coming to you through this platform today. We hope that your heart is encouraged, that your faith is stirred by what God speaks to you today. God bless you. Enjoy the message. And I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment and celebrate two very important people here in front of me today. These are our founding pastors and Bishop Michael and Pastor Kathy Pitts. Come on, you should be on your feet at all locations celebrating our founding pastors. What an incredible, dynamic duo of a couple. We love having you guys as parents and as friends and as, as our founding pastors. Really, uh, preaching like 10 feet away from these guys is kind of like, um, like teaching Peyton Manning how to throw a touchdown pass in this season of life. Like he's been doing it for a long, long time. You guys have been preaching for longer than I've been alive. But I just wanna humbly say thank you. I don't say that to make you feel old, by the way. <laughs> but we are so excited in this season for your future. We're so excited for the new things that God is bringing into this season for you. And I humbly stand here saying thank you for trusting me in this pulpit. It means the world to me that you would trust me to be here. And, and I truly say this honestly, if at any stage you wanna come up and take the mic, you're welcome to do so. I will not be offended, upset, hurt, or otherwise. You're welcome to come and grab the microphone and take over if you think we should be moving in another direction. You guys ready to get into the Word? All right, let's do it. So we're gonna be starting a new series today. This series is called Commit the Way. Commit the way. And really, the core scripture that we're going to be reading from comes from the book of Psalms 37. You can open your Bibles, whether it's a printed copy that you have, your Bible, on your phone, on your iPad, whatever other device you might have. We're going to be reading from Psalm 37. This is a Psalm of David, and it's really actually an acrostic poem. If you read the entire Psalm 37, you would see that every line starts a new letter in Hebrew, so it reads kind of poetically. You would see this if you read the entire Psalm 37. We're going to be reading specifically verses 3 through 9 this morning, but if you read the entire Psalm 37, you would see a strong contrast between a righteous person and a wicked person. And this portion of scripture that we're going to be reading from specifically talks about what it means to be a righteous person. That's what we're going after here in 2020. So we're going to be picking up the scripture reading right here in verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many people want that? the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. That's where the name of our series comes from. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Would you help me preach this message as we are kicking off our series today, but also our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Touch the nearest two or three people around you and let them know I'm excited for this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Even if it's not true, tell them. 
tell the nearest two or three people around you and tell them I'm excited. Awesome. If you grew up in the church, you're probably familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel. It's not something that we often preach about in big kids' church, which is what Theo calls our sanctuary services. But it's something that if you grew up in kids' ministry, then you probably heard about the Tower of Babel all the time. It's really a staple all over the world in kids' ministries as they talk about what the Tower of Babel was, why it happened, and what the story is surrounding it. Really, the story kind of goes like this. Noah and his descendants had just gotten off the ark. They'd been saved by God from the flood. And now what they were spreading throughout the land, they were being scattered throughout the land and they were multiplying and taking ownership of the land. Many of the people were moving eastward. Not like eastward campus, but they were moving eastward where they were going. They were uh, speaking the same language. They were one people. And as they moved, they scattered throughout the land. However, there was a group of people that decided to stop scattering. These people decided to set up shop in a land, and they said, we're going to stop scattering right here. We want to build a big city, and we want to build a big tower in the center of this city that shows how great we are as people, and we want to ensure that we stop scattering. So let's settle in this land right here. However, God had other plans. He descends on the city and he confuses their language and he says, ah, this is not good. This is not exactly what I had intended for you. In fact, this is the opposite of what I had intended for you. These are people who had decided to set up shop right in one location. But if they had consulted God from the beginning, instead of starting their plans without him, they would have found that the thing that they were trying to avoid being scattered throughout the land was exactly what God had wanted them to do. And I was thinking about this the other day as I was thinking about this message, and I was really for the first time thinking about the frustration that these people must have experienced in that moment. They were working in unity. They were working towards a common purpose. They were working towards something that they thought was great. However, they didn't consult God at the beginning of their decision. They didn't put God right in the middle of the core of what they had decided to do. And I wonder if people's frustration in 2019, the frustration that you experienced occurred as a result of the fact that you were asking God to bless what you were doing rather than doing what God was already blessing. Maybe if we flipped that, we would live a less frustrating life. And I kind of live under this mantra of celebrating what God is doing rather than complaining about what God is not doing, right? Like if I pray for two people and one person is healed in that situation, I'm gonna celebrate the healing that took place rather than complain to God about the fact that one person didn't get healed. I don't know why that person didn't get healed, but I'm gonna celebrate what God is doing in the earth rather than complaining about what God is not doing in certain situations because God is moving all over the world. God is moving in regional communities. God is moving in big cities. God is moving in home churches. God is moving in mega churches. God is being known all over the world. But if we spend all of our time focusing on what God isn't doing, we'll never see him moving. And as Cornerstone Church, what we've been called to do is to focus on where the kingdom is advancing and move that, pull that 
into the situations where we don't see his kingdom manifest just yet. That's what God calls us to do. And really, that's what this series is all about, Commit the Way. It's all about at the beginning of whatever decision you're making, commit your way. At the beginning of this brand new year, commit your way. Commit everything, every decision, everything that is needed. Commit that thing to God through prayer. And when I think about prayer, I think about how prayer is kind of like uh, tuning a radio to hearing the voice of God. Anybody still listen to the radio anymore? Okay, there's a few people. Most people have like shifted on to newer things now. But when you used to listen to the radio, you had to kind of get the signal exactly right. Too far to the left, you would pick up static. Too far to the right, you would pick up static. You had to get the signal exactly right to pick up the station and the music that you wanted to listen to. And that's really what prayer is about. It's about tuning in to what God is saying. It's about tuning in to what God is already doing in life. Prayer is not about trying to get God on your side. Because newsflash, God is already on your side. God went to the cross because he is on your side. God came to the earth because he is on your side. God sent his Holy Spirit to the world so that we could always have access to his side. Prayer is not about trying to get God onto our side. And if your prayer life is always trying to get God to do something for you, then you're doing it wrong. Your prayer should more often sound like, God, what are you doing? How can I align myself with that? How can I be a part of what you're already doing in the earth? Rather than always trying to get God to do what you want him to do. Because if you're praying like that, you're missing the point and you're not praying according to scripture. So let's go back to our core text, Psalm 37. If you uh, read it in the same way that I read it, you'll see that there was a bunch of instructions that David was leaving for us. He was telling us what we should do, what we shouldn't do, what God will do if we do certain things. There's a whole bunch of instructions that David was giving us. It kind of reminds me of having a conversation with my wife sometimes. (laughs) I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I love you and all the instructions that you give. (laughs) But in this scripture of Psalm 37, we see six verbs in particular that I want to pull out and that I want us to focus on today. This is really where the core of today's message is going to come from, these six verbs that we're going to focus on. And the very first one, and if you take notes, I encourage you to write these six different verbs down because they're going to be core and central to how we go about our 2020 together. At all locations, I encourage you to write these down. Number one, we trust. We see this in verse number three. We trust in the Lord. Stephen Covey, who's kind of the guru on trust, talks about how trust is difficult to define but it's easy to understand. You know when you have trust in a relationship, whether it's with a spouse or a sibling or a friend or a loved one, you know when you have trust with someone. However, conversely, you also know when you don't have trust with a person. It can be difficult to define exactly what trust is, but you know if you don't have trust with a person and you often know what happened as a result that uh, that led you to the fact that you don't have trust with that person anymore. But trust here talks about firmness. It talks about a steady loyalty with God. 
It's a substance. That's why Hebrews 11 verses one talks about how faith has substance because it's a very real thing. Your faith has substance. It's about believing in the character and the competence of God. Believing that he is all good and that he is all powerful and that he has your best interests at heart. That is how we trust God. Now, practically, what does this mean? Number one, you trust God with your life. And if you have never done this, if you have never put your trust in God at all locations at the end of today's service, we would love to pray with you. We would love to give you an opportunity to make your life right with Christ. We would love to pray a salvation prayer with you and make sure that your eternity is secure with Christ. Nothing would make us happier as if we could pray with you and for you to ensure that your trust is found in Jesus Christ. That's number one, how we trust in God. Number two, we live for him daily. We live for him daily. We don't just live according to the way that we want to live. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, not conformed to the patterns of this world. So number one, we trust in the Lord. Number two, we delight. Verse number four says, take delight in the Lord. We take joy in the Lord's presence. You can delight in someone when you know that person well. You cannot delight in someone that you don't know. You delight in relationships that are secure, that are foundational in your life. If you take a moment and if you look at Meredith and I and you see us together, it won't take long for you to realize that we are a married couple because of how we delight in each other, because of the way that she looks at me, the way that her eyes swoon when I move, the way that she thinks about me, the way that she prays for me, the way that she is in awe and wonder about how someone like this could enter her life but we delight in each other. The way that we hold hands, right? So you can ask if we're married, we're not gonna pull out our marriage certificate as a proof to you, as evidence to you that we're married because a marriage certificate really doesn't prove that much. It just proves that you can sign your name on a legal document, right? But your marriage is about delighting in your spouse right? Because our marriage is a relationship. It's not a contract. The friendships that you have are a relationship. They're not a contract. Your walk with God is a relationship. It's not a contract. It's about walking with God daily. It's not about a decision that you made once upon a time thinking, I've checked the box, I've given my life to Christ. No, it's about walking with him daily, being known and being made known by him every day as you commit your decisions and your way to Christ. Number three, we commit. We see this in verse five. We commit your way to the Lord. And this is our core text. We give everything to God. When it says your way, what it's talking about is everything. Everything we give to God. Everything, whether it's your hopes, your desires, your possessions, your relationships, your family, whatever it is, commit your way, your hopes. Commit everything, every part of you. 
every part of your present, every part of your future. We're committing every part of us to God. And we don't just do it one time. We do it daily. And let me just talk to my generation here for a moment, fellow millennials that are in the room and at all different locations, because I know that commit is uh, it's like a six-letter cuss word for us millennials. Uh, we don't like the idea of committing. We're slow to commit in relationships, in our mortgage. We're slow to commit in our life choices, in our direction, in our careers. We're slow to commit as millennials. I was actually reading a report the other day that said millennials are eight percentage points lower for the rate of home ownership than for Gen X at the same age. Eight percentage points lower than Gen X at the same age for getting into a mortgage. And now I know that we can blame our student debt that many of us have, but really the same article went on to say that it's not necessarily student debt that stops us or slows us from committing. What it says was that we spend too much of our money on coffee and houseplants. (laughs) Coffee and houseplants. We are renting our way through life because we are investing all of our money on coffee and houseplants. I don't know how coffee became $5 per cup, but we invest all of our money on coffee and houseplants. And so, yeah, the rented places that we have look and smell great, but we're not moving towards commitment. We're not moving towards asset ownership, but God has called us to be leaders in our community. God has called us to be asset owners, to be land possessors. He has called us as millennials and all different generations represented here to be leaders in our community. And we can't do that if we're renting our way through life. The thing is that's, um, that, that's difficult about the extended and the prolonged adolescence that we are enjoying as millennials is that on the other side of an extended adolescence is a shortened adulthood. That's often something that we don't think about. We think, well, our 20s and our 30s and now our 40s are great because we can be bouncing around different jobs and we can be bouncing around different relationships and different career choices. We can prolong this adolescence as long as we want But historically, you needed like 30 to 40 years to plan and prepare for your retirement. And now as we prolong our adolescence, we no longer have that time to be preparing for our retirement. And so, bro, if you've been dating the same girl for eight years, and if you love her and she loves you, it's time to put a ring on the finger. If you're into your fourth year of college, and you're still bouncing around your majors and you can't make a decision on exactly what you want to pursue, chill out, make a decision, and commit your way. Commit your way to God. I love it the way that the message says it. It says it just like this. Open up before God. Keep nothing back. Open up before God. How many times in life do we have a vision or we have something that's important to us and we close ourselves off from God because we're nervous that God is gonna take it, God is gonna ruin it, God is gonna remove it from us and so we protect ourselves from God rather than opening ourselves up and allowing him to bless what he's already doing in our lives. Habakkuk, the the prophet, says it like this in chapter two, verses one and two. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart 
and will watch to see what he will say to me, he being God, and, and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. What that breaks down into is receive it from God, write it down in pencil, allow God to correct it because we only ever see in part anyway, and then run with it. Receive it from God, write it down in pencil, allow God to correct it, and then run with it. And I wonder how many of us in life are running with visions that never came from God in the first place. Or at least how many of us are running with visions that we never allowed God to correct. We heard something once upon a time and we thought, that sounds good, I'm gonna run with that now. But we never allowed God to correct the vision that he gave us in the first place. Receive it, write it down in pencil, allow it to be changed because God is going to correct what he gives you. And then run with it. Don't stay where you are. Run with the vision that God gives you. So number three, we commit. Number four, we wait. Verse seven says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. If I'm fully transparent and honest, this is the most difficult one for me. Partially because I'm a millennial, partially because uh, I'm an activator. One of the, my strength finders, actually my number one strength finder is that I'm an activator and partially because I'm a guy as well. So like if you tell me a problem, I wanna fix it immediately. I don't want to have plans and meetings for the next seven months. I don't wanna decide on something over time. You wanna tell me a problem, we will have a solution by the end of that meeting. And uh, it got me thinking about how a few years ago our basement flooded in our house. And Meredith and I had just been out for a really nice evening. I was trying to delight in my wife that night, which sounds a little bit weird. Um, but we had just gotten home and we heard these weird sounds in the basement. So we go down to the basement and there's no power in the house. We'd lost power for like two or three days at that time. But we can see as we turn our flashlights on that our furniture in the basement is just floating around. There's like a foot of standing water in our basement. And so literally without thinking, without pausing for a moment, I grab the nearest bucket that I can find and I start bucketing the water out of our basement into our backyard. And I say to Meredith, what are you doing watching me? Get a bucket and help me get the water out of our basement and into our backyard. She was like five months pregnant at the time with our first child. Like as pregnant as she is right now, she was that pregnant with our first child. And she's like, okay. We can do that, and so for an hour in the middle of the night, we start bucketing the water out of our basement. And after an hour, I realize we have made zero impact in the amount of water that is in our basement. It is still a foot high, and now we're exhausted, and we're frustrated at each other. And I say to her, hey, let's just pause for a moment. Maybe we should make a plan. And so we went to bed, because what else can you do? Bucketing the water out was making no difference whatsoever. When you think about Paul in the Bible, you think about a few key characteristics of his life. We think about the fact that he was originally Saul, who was a Pharisee who was persecuting Christians. 
because they were being converted into Christianity from Judaism. We think about the radical and the transformative experience that he had on the road to Damascus. And then we think about the fact that he wrote a large portion of the New Testament that told the churches about what it means to be a church. But what we don't think about often is the time period that took place between when he has that radically transformative experience on the road to Damascus and when he starts his public ministry as he starts writing letters and teaching people. You can read about these eight to 10 years that exist in Paul's life. These are called the silent years. You can read about them at some other time. We don't know too much about what Paul was doing during this time because he was silent during this time. There's not a lot of things that were written about them, but scholars and theologians often assume that what he was doing was sitting at the feet of the disciples and the other apostles, and he was learning. He was waiting. He was being corrected. He was being discipled. He was being challenged. He was being stretched. He wasn't in public ministry. He caused himself to be silent to wait on God and what he was saying to him so that he knew what the rest of his life would look like. And really the point is that uh, this is not back in the days of Methuselah where people lived to be like 900 years old. Paul took eight to 10 years of his 50 to 60 years that he may have had on the earth to sit and be quiet and to learn from the disciples. What I think that we can learn from Paul's silent years, though, is that if God pulls you out of something, now is not the time to start a teaching ministry about that thing. If God has just revealed himself to you for the very first time, I am so glad for you. I celebrate with you that you have your newfound belief in Christ, and I applaud that with you, and I will help walk you out. But now is not the time for you to spew all of your newfound information on social media about what God is saying to our community. Now is the time for you to be silent and for you to share those thoughts and those lessons in your journal at night. If God has pulled you out of some kind of broken relationship, a dysfunctional marriage, and you have been healed as a result of that, now is probably not the time for you to start a marriage healing ministry. Now is the time for you to be quiet, for you to be silent, for you to wait on the Lord, not for you to be sharing all of your information on how relationships can be restored with everybody that comes along in some kind of dysfunctional relationship that you think looks just like yours. Or if God just pulled you out of some kind of addiction situation that you were struggling with, now is probably not the time for you to start an addiction recovery service. Now is the time for you to be silent, for you to be learning, for you to be disciplined and discipled by mature Christians that can help you along your journey. Now is the time for you to wait and to learn and to be stretched and to grow. I don't often check my voicemails. In fact, I think that my voicemail message actually says something like, hey, thanks for calling. I don't check my voicemails. Please send me a text if you want something. Uh, but a few weeks ago, I had a voicemail from Meredith. I had a missed call from her, and I had a voicemail. I thought, that's strange. She knows that I don't typically check my voicemails. And so she's left me a voicemail, so this must be really, really urgent. This must be an important thing. And so I check it, and I start listening. 
And for the first like 10 or 20 seconds, there's just nothing but background noise. There's like Theo playing with toys in the background. There's some muffled sounds. And I realized pretty quickly that it's probably like a butt dial or one of our kids has grabbed the phone and somehow figured out how to call me. And Meredith doesn't even know that this is going on. And I check and I realize that there's actually about two and a half minutes worth of this voicemail. And I think, I'm going to listen to the entire thing on the off chance that she says something at the end that I need to hear. And so I sit and I wait for two and a half minutes, which is a god-awful time to listen to absolutely nothing on a voicemail. You probably don't even know that you called me and left me a voicemail. But I wait for the entire time, and there was nothing by the end of it. But in that moment, God spoke to me and he said, this is how I want you to be listening to my voice rather than assuming that I'm not going to say something and simply deleting the voicemail. Listen to the entire thing. Give me an opportunity to speak into your life. Wait with great anticipation because I will prove myself. I will speak to you if you give me an opportunity to speak into your life. Wait and hear him out. He will speak in your life. Number five, we refrain. Verse eight says it like this, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. So we refrain from negative things, things like anger and evil, jealousy, fretting and anxiety. We refrain from these things. If you turn on the news, you'll see all kinds of crazy situations going on about Iran and Puerto Rico and even the fires in Australia. It doesn't take long to realize that there's chaos and craziness going on in the world, so much so that Jesus forewarned us about it. Jesus told us that things would get crazy, but he also tells us, do not fret. The Lord and his purpose will prevail Stand firm with me and you will see my kingdom and righteousness proven in the earth. And so we refrain from the negative things like fretting and like anxiety and anger. We refrain from these things, but we also refrain from positive things from time to time. When positive things become too loud in our life, become too big in our life, they become a negative thing. So food is often a good thing. However, when it becomes too big and too loud in your life, it now becomes a negative thing. Because our bodies have voices. Your body will tell you when you're tired. Your body will tell you when you're hungry. Your body will tell you when you need things. And if you're always listening to your body and you're always giving your body exactly what it's asking for, you are drowning out the other voices that are in your life, the voices like the Holy Spirit that wants to dwell within you, the Holy Spirit that wants to speak with you, the Holy Spirit that wants to give you guidance and direction. And if you're always, always, always listening to the voice of your body, you will never hear the Holy Spirit in how he wants to communicate with you. So, like I said at the beginning, we are kicking off today's uh, series with a 21-day period of prayer and fasting. 
And if this is your very first fast, or if this is your 20th fast, or if you walked in today or joined online and you had no idea that we were starting a corporate fast today, I want to take a couple of moments and talk about what fasting is, what fasting isn't, and how you can get most out of this fasting season that we are stepping into. The purpose of fasting is to put our attention and our focus on God and not on the food that we are or are not, in this case, consuming. It's about going for deeper connection and intimacy with God and seeking his guidance. And let me make this really clear. We don't just not eat. This is not a diet, right? This is not just a cleanse to start the beginning of our year as we rid our body of all the toxins and junk that we normally put inside of our body. That's a very small portion of it, but this is prayer and fasting. This is not a diet that we are doing to start the beginning of our year. And your body will get hungry and you will have cravings. But it's important during this time that you take those very physical cravings and you transform them into a deep hunger for God and what he is doing. And so we take the time that we have back in our day because we're not spending all of it eating and we concentrate on prayer, on reading the Bible, and on reflection. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament is full of examples of why fasting <clears throat> is important, of why fasting helped in incredible people throughout the Bible live the lives that they lived. And we can realize that there is supernatural revelation and wisdom that takes place through this practice because there is a level of commitment that you will never get to without sacrifice, without saying no to certain things. Like when we wanted to get married, we said yes fully to each other, but that meant that we said no to everybody else. Not because everybody else is evil, not because there's something wrong with everybody else, but in saying yes to each other, we had to say no. We had to make a sacrifice, a greater thing for a lesser thing. You can't get to a deeper level of commitment without a sacrifice. And so fasting is not a new practice for the church at large. We've been doing it for thousands of years, and it's certainly not a new practice for who we are as Cornerstone Church. We've been fasting really since the beginning of who we are for over 30 years as a church. But recently, we went from a three-day fast to a five-day fast. And when Meredith and I were praying a few months ago as we were thinking about what God would have us do in 2020, Meredith came to me and she said, hey, I really feel like a 21-day Daniel fast would be great for us. And I said, okay, we can do that. I believe that God has that for us as well. And then she came back to me like two months later and said, oh, by the way, because I'm pregnant, I can't participate completely <laughs> with you. Which is just like a little bit convenient that you're like modifying the Daniel fast. So we're all gonna be starving and you're gonna be doing what you're doing. I'm actually not that upset about it. I'm more upset about the fact that there's a brand new Krispy Kreme that's getting ready to open. <laughs> in Toledo. It's having its grand opening on Tuesday, and I'm going to have to wait for three weeks before I get to partake in Krispy Kremes along with the rest of the city. But the basic guidelines for the Daniel fast come from the book of Daniel. He was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he, uh, this is the same Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den. And specifically, we read in Daniel 10 verses 3, he says, I ate no choice food, no meat, or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So specifically, this Daniel fast that we're entering into today, we're talking about eating fruits, nuts, 
vegetables, water to drink to flush out toxins, and then also natural fruit juices can be included provided that they don't have extra sugars and preservatives and all of those kind of things. We've been joking for a little while about how if it has a mama, then you can't eat it. At a deeper level, the word pulses, which is used in some translations, talks about how if it is, comes from a seed and if it is planted in the ground, then it's okay for you to consume it. If it has a seed and if it's planted in the ground, then it's generally okay for you to consume it. However, there are things like coffee that came from a seed that you may not consume on a Daniel fast because it is a stimulant. So what isn't included in a Daniel fast, coffee and tea, any kind of meat you may not consume, pastries, chips, breads, fried food. Am I making anybody hungry? Basically, anything that tastes delicious. You may not consume it on a Daniel fast. It says that he consumed no choice food for three weeks. So our Daniel fast will last for three weeks and we will end it together at our midnight prayer on the, on the 31st of January at our midnight prayer together in our Wayne campus, here at our mommy campus and also at our Lima campus. Now here's the deal that you might be learning about what you can and cannot be consuming on your Daniel fast, particularly if this is your first Daniel fast that you've ever participated in. But I don't want you to get tied to the religiosity of what you can and cannot consume because at its core, it's about a heart issue. I don't wanna spend the next three weeks arguing with people about what a seed meant. And if we're doing a Daniel fast for exactly the right amount of time or if we're short by a few hours or too long by a few hours, we're not gonna argue the religiosity and the doctrine exactly of what a Daniel fast is. However, we're very seriously talking about the removal of certain foods from our body because a Daniel fast should hurt, right? But for fasting, for, for, for seriously to be fasting, it should hurt. And so we're not talking about like, I'm just taking a 21-day fast from my social media. I'm getting off Instagram and TikTok for the next three weeks, and that's the fast that I'm participating in. That's cool. Do that as well. But we are talking about the very real removal of food from your diet. And here's what is likely will happen in your Daniel fast over the next three weeks. Number one, you will get very hungry. And if I can be real right now, I typically don't hear from God at the beginning of my fast. If I'm doing a three-day fast, I don't hear from God on the first day because I just hear my body. If I'm doing a five-day fast or a 10-day fast, for the very first portion of the fast, my body is screaming at me. It is craving attention. It is saying, why are you doing this? Feed your flesh. The voice of your body will get louder before it gets quieter. And so you are going to get hungry, number one. That is normal. That should happen. Number two, you will hear from God. When your body finally shuts up, that is when you will hear the Holy Spirit speak to you in new and profound ways. You will hear revelation that you never experienced before. You will hear answers to things, big questions that you may have right now. You will hear answers to those things. And God will put people on your mind and in your spirit because people are always on God's mind. But really, fasting is about aligning ourselves with what God is thinking and what God is doing. And so he will put people 
on our hearts that we should be praying for in this season. So number one, you're going to get really hungry. Number two, you will hear from God. And number three, your spiritual life will go to a whole new level. Jesus says that certain demons can only be cast out through prayer and fasting. He says that some healing can only take place because of prayer and fasting. And how many people want that kind of life? How many people want to be known for the incredible spiritual activity that is taking place because of the discipline that we have through prayer and fasting? And so how are we as a church helping you through your 21-day Daniel fast. Number one, we will have video encouragement on a regular basis on social media from our campus pastors. Number two, there will be blog entries that will be written on our website. We'll also have our buildings at our different locations open at certain times that you're able to come to and pray together to ensure that this is not something that you are doing alone. And lastly, this series, this series is designed to help you in your journey as we continue walking out, committing the way to what God would have for us. So I encourage you to fast with us during this time. Do a Daniel fast if you can, do something else if you can't. If you have a medical condition, I encourage you to speak to your physician, your doctor before you engage in a Daniel fast. And if you're not sure about it, I encourage you to speak to one of the pastors here at this church or maybe a mature Christian that can help you ensure that you're doing what is right for you in your spiritual life. So what are we praying for during this time? We are praying to commit our way. Committing our way is about submitting our way. And what is our way? Everything, everything that we do. So I'm excited for you, whether this is your 10th fast or this is your first fast, I'm excited for those of you who are fasting in this season with all of us. But we also wanna make sure that you see fasting as a regular discipline, not simply an event that your church does. This should be something that you are owning, that you have decided by yourself, in your family, with your loved ones, not, something that, not simply something that you're doing because your church is doing it, right? This is what our fast is about. And we truly believe that you will be stronger, healthier, closer to God, and more dedicated in your faith life as a result of this 21-day fast. Point number six. You thought I forgot about my points. Point number six. We hope Verse 9 says that those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. We will inherit our portion. But what is it that you are hoping for? What does that thing look like? Because the Bible says that what you set your mind on, what you set your eyes on, you will reproduce that thing. So what are you looking at? Be careful what you're looking at. Be careful what you're going after because you will reproduce that thing in your life. And so you might say to yourself, I want to get married. But are you looking at yourself like a spouse? You might be thinking, I want better friendships. But are you looking at yourself like you're a better friend? You might be, looking, you might be thinking, I want to be debt-free but can you see yourself living a debt-free life where you don't have rent that is due at the end of every single month, where you don't have student loan repayments or car repayments, where you are living a debt-free life? Can you see those things? Because without seeing it, you will not achieve it. For it to be a goal that you have for 2020, it should be SMART, S-M-A-R-T, SMART. 
Your goals should be smart, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-sensitive. Your goals should be smart. If you're simply wanting to save money, that is not a goal. Your goal should be that you want to save an extra $100 every single month for the next 12 months. That is a goal. It should be trackable. If your goal is simply to lose weight, it's not a goal. If your goal is to lose five pounds every month for the next year, that is a goal. That is measurable and that is trackable. And so what are we going after in this season? What are we putting our hope in? We are putting our hope in God that he would bring inheritance into our land. And inheritance for us in 2020 looks like double. We have been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking since New Year's Eve and into Vision Sunday that we are going after double in our lives this year. But what do you want double in? Do you want double in your finances? Do you want double in your job opportunities? Do you want double in your relationships? Do you want double in your grades or in your business opportunities? Do you want double in your wisdom? What do you want double in in your life? Because if you cannot categorize it, God cannot bring it into your life. What do you want double in? And so we're left with six very real questions as we finish today. Six questions that align specifically with the six verbs that we've just gone through. These six verbs and how we answer these questions will change the way that we have our year ahead. How we answer these questions will allow God to work in our life. They will determine in many ways the type of year that we're getting ready to have. And so at all locations, including this one, when I ask these six questions, I want you to answer audibly yes or no. When I ask these questions, question number one, will you trust in God? Will you delight in God? Will you commit to God? Will you wait on God? Will you refrain from what God wants you to refrain from? Will you hope on God? And so if you answered yes to all of those questions, we truly believe that double is your portion. Double is coming in your direction. Double is your inheritance. As you continue to answer yes to those six questions throughout this year, we believe that double is what you are stepping into. I hope that message meant something to you and that it means something in your days to come. Yeah, if this message has blessed you and you want to sow into the ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can do so from wherever you are today. Simply jump on our website at cornerstone.church and you can find the link there so that you can give in whatever way is most convenient to you. And we'll see you back here next time.